Good morning, people of God. This is Apostle Shirley Evans today, being October the 8th, 2020. Today is Thursday. I hope I have it right. The days go by so quickly. We could hardly keep count of the days. October the 8th, 2020. Today is Thursday. And the time is 9.21 a.m. We just thank God for another day that he has preserved our life here on earth. And Father, I pray that you cover me, you anoint me, you strengthen me this morning as you're giving this word for your people. I pray that when they receive it, whichever day they receive it, they will apply it to their heart that we would be doers of the word and not only hearers only because the time is late. God, you said you're redeeming the time because the days are evil. And Father, I ask again that you give us an insatiable thirst for your word, for your love, for your truth. And for souls to bring them into the kingdom of God, that we will let them know that Jesus loves them, but Jesus also came to save them, and that Jesus is the bridge to the Father, because he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's time for us to come back to our first love, And let it be forever this time. So as usual, we have prophetic songs and the word of God, which is the truth. So I will bring that to you this morning. And Father, I just bless you. I just praise you. I just honor you and I just give you thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks. With a grateful heart, give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ, his Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich because of what? The Lord has done for us. Give thanks. Give thanks. And we really ought to give thanks to God. Because he's God. Even if he does nothing else for us, we still ought to give him thanks because he's God. He's Savior. We're to give him thanks because he saved us. While we were in love with the world, as we went, I'm going to say the word, we went a whoring after the world and the things of the world. He saw us in our filth and he says, live. Because when you're in sin, sin is death. Jesus came to bring life, to give us life. So I pray that whoever's hearing these words, they're not in bondage of sin. Again, sin will still be in the world, but that don't mean that we have to be in bondage. We are loose, we are free to love the lover of my soul. I really, really, really love the Lord. I really love the Lord. I really love the Lord. I really love the Lord. 
the Lord. You don't know what he's done for me. He has given me the victory. I love him. I love him. I really love the Lord. He's the love of my soul. Lover of my soul. You're faithful like no other. You are kind and true. I love you like no other. Jesus, 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 you're my friend forever. Jesus, 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 you're my friend forever. And when I fall in love, and I fell in love with Jesus, I pray that all of you would really, really, really fall in love with Jesus. When I fall in love, it will be completely. Oh, I'll never fall in love. But the moment you feel like I feel this way too. It's when I fall in love with you. I have an insatiable love for Jesus. I pray that that fire of love hit you today. The love deep within, flowing out the outside, that people will be able to see it on you, in you, around you, that they will see his glory illuminating all over you. We want him to have all of us the love of the Lord. So my message this morning, as I walked into this room, in this very room, as I walked in, the word came to me, do not love the world. Do not love the world. And that scripture is found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So I have two scriptures. He says, do not love the world. That's one scripture he's giving us. The other scripture, as I sat down, he said, we have lost our first love. And we need to come back to our first love. You know you could fall in love or maybe a couple of weeks later, the person who you fall in love with did you something very bad, so bad, so bad, you decided, I don't love him anymore. So that was not true love. It had no foundation. 
It was built on the sand, not on the solid rock. He's saying he wants us to come back to our true love. Oh, yes. He's saying it's time to come back. He's saying we have left our first love. That's what he's saying. So the other day, he spoke to you in Revelation chapter 3. He talked about strengthening the things, strengthening the things that are about to die. When we look all over this world, a lot of things are dying. Trees are dying by fire. Places are being over flooded by the water. Hurricanes are taking over the cities. Earthquakes, the earth is groaning. Groaning, groaning, groaning. He's saying, come back to me. And souls are dying. The thing about it, some of these souls are dying without experiencing love. I'm not talking about a love of a man or love of a woman. They're dying without experiencing the love that Jesus came down to give them. Because for several reasons, perhaps they heard the word of God, but they decided not now, later. I'm not gonna change, I'm not ready to really love you. God is saying, it's time to come back to your first love because Jesus is the way to the Father. He is the lover of my soul. He wants to be intimate with you intimate with you he's calling for intimacy he wants all of you and when you're loosed from the bondage of sin then you lose to love you're loose from the bondage of the world then you're supposed to be now loose from that to love jesus the things of the Spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because we brought nothing into this world and it is sure, surely we will take nothing out of this world. So we are to store up the love, the treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break in nor steal. So I read in your hearing, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, love not the world. Does this mean that if you dislike someone, you aren't a Christian? Love not the world. Love not the world. Now, the thing is, I just said something just now. Do you mean if you dislike someone, you aren't a Christian? Well, a lot of people call themselves a Christian, but they have not been born again. They never accepted Jesus. So they, 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 they say they love him, but no, it's, it's a double mind because they, they're still holding on and loving the world. You can't love two at the same time. John uses their dress, their children, in a warm, fatherly way. 
he is not talking down to his readers, but is showing affection for them. At this writing, John was a very old man. He had spent almost all his life in ministry. And many of his readers were indeed his spiritual children. So he was writing to his spiritual children. Verse 2. That is from John chapter 1. Chapter 2. Verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you do not sin. Now, I read from verse 15 to 17, but I'm going back to verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the anointing sacrifice for our sins. He is the anointed one. And not only for us, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if you obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, that is, if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing to you a new commandment, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, their children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil. You have overcome the world, the things of the world. And now he says, do not love the world. Verse 15. Some people think that worldliness is limited to external behavior. The people who are associated with the places we go, there, there are some people we associate ourselves with. The places we go, the activities we enjoy. Worldliness is also internal because it begins in the heart and it is characterized by three attitudes. The cravings of sinful man, preoccupation with gratifying physical desires, the lust of his eyes, craving and accumulating things, bowing to the God of materialism and boasting of what he has and does, obsession with one's status or importance. When the serpent tempted Eve, in Genesis chapter three and six, the tempt, he tempted her in these areas, these three areas. Also, when the devil tempted Jesus in the desert, these were his three areas of attack. The other day we read it in Matthew chapter 4, 1 to 11. By contrast, God values self-control, a spirit of generosity, and a commitment to humble service. 
it is possible it gave the impression of avoiding worldly pleasures while still harboring worldly attitudes in one's heart. It is also possible, like Jesus, to love sinners and spend time with them while maintaining a commitment to the values of God's kingdom. What values are most important to you? Do your actions reflect the world's values or God's values? I noticed something yesterday on TV. Some uh, people line up going, getting water or food. But you can see the attitude, pushing and shoving. The attitude. When our attachment to possessions is strong, it's hard to believe that what we want will one day pass away. Pass away. But be no more. It may be even harder to believe that the person who does the will of God will live forever. But this was John's conviction. Based on the facts of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and promises. A lot of people be holding on to, instead of holding on to Jesus. They are dying. Overnight. Dying. And if they became an idol in your life, you need to think again. You need to put that affection on the Lord Jesus. That's not to say you shouldn't love those around you. Oh, yes, you should. But you cannot idolize them because if they snatch away in a moment, then you, you're ready to be snatched away too because you figure that you can't live without them. They're gone. And so you try to pine yourself away and it's not your time to go. So keep your affections on the Lord Jesus. Get back to your first love. Knowing that this evil world and our desires for its pleasures will end can give us courage to control our greedy, self-indulgent behavior and continue doing God's will. Let us continue doing God's will. The time is late. He's redeeming the time. He says, occupy till I come. Are you really occupying? Is he your first love? Well, he is saying to come back to your first love. Revelation chapter 2 verse 1 to 7 says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These things said he that hold, these things said he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and has found them liars, and has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. He's still calling for repentance. That's the word for the day. That's the word for the day. He's still crying out for repentance. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that had an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so, he's speaking. You left your first love. It's time to come back to your first love. I'm going to also read 
verse 8. I just read where he was speaking that at church in Ephesus. And so now he's speaking to the church in Smyrna. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These things said the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews, and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that had an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. He's still speaking to the church in Pergamos. Unto the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things said he which had the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that had an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. And I will go unto the church in, in, in Thyatira, and unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things said the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works and charity and service and faith, and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already. Hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shrivels, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that had an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Now, further up here, it says, and I will kill her children. Now, all this writing here is red writing. This is God speaking. This isn't John speaking. This is God speaking. A lot of children are dying. A lot of grown-up, I still call children, are dying without Christ. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deaths. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. This is God speaking. So, 
Ephesus to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So we, he spoke to Ephesus, he spoke to Sperma, he spoke to Pergamos, he spoke to Tyathira. That's Revelation chapter 2. I read from verse 1 to verse 29. This is a serious time. We need to know the truth. Some people are afraid to even open the book of Revelation. They figure that, oh, if I read that, the light is going to shine on me. The light is going to shine on you anyhow. You don't have to open that book. Because your book is you. And God shows you. The Holy Spirit convicts us. And you tell us to turn. You don't have to... You don't have to be afraid of the book of Revelation. God is love from Genesis to Revelation. He's still love. And he chastised those whom he loved. He does that, but he loves you. He still holds you in his arms saying, I love you, but I want to open up your eyes to the truth. Ephesus was the capital of Asia Minor. A center of land and sea trade and along with Alexandria and Antioch in Syria, one of the three most influential cities in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. The temple of Artemis, one of the ancient wonders of the world, was located in this city, and a major industry was the manufacture of images of their goddess. We still have a lot of images of goddesses. As a matter of fact, um, there was a time that I had some um, concrete images and the Holy Ghost told me to take them out of my yard. And I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes we have these things and we don't know the spirit behind it. We have no understanding. But when the time came that he opened up my understanding and I removed them completely, all of a sudden, God took me to another dimension that was blocking, blocking me from getting to the next dimension. And after that happened, I think it was like three weeks later, here it is, God gave me this platform to use the phone to minister to his people. And so we need to ask God, what is it that I have outside my house or inside my house that I need to get rid of. And it's not only the physical, but it's the idols in our heart. And the idols in our heart, a lot of time will, how you call it? I'm trying to find a word. Next thing you know, it, is on the outside and manifests itself. That's the word I wanted to find. Manifests itself on the outside. And next thing you know, it's a big monster. And you can't see your way to get to where God wants to take you because of the manifested monster of an idol. God, Jesus, help us, give us revelation. Show us what is blocking us from hearing you. Show us what is blocking us from seeing you. As I said, the temple of Artemis, one of the ancient wonders of the world, was located in this city. And a major industry was the manufacture of images of this goddess. I'm not going to go there. I want you to take time to read it. You'll see it in Acts chapter 19, verse 21 to 41. Paul ministered in Ephesus for three years and warned the Ephesians that false teachers would come and try to draw people away from the faith. False teachers did indeed cause problems in the Ephesian church, but the church resisted them, as we can see from Paul's letter to them. John spent much of his ministry in the city 
and knew that they had resisted Paul's teachings. The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, that is the seven churches, is Jesus who's walking among the churches and is Jesus who's speaking. Revelation chapter 1, verse 11 to 13 says, Verse 11 to 13 says, I'll go from verse 1. Revelation chapter 1. I'll go from verse 9. I join your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so here is, that was Jesus walking that was him he was dressed john had to turn to see sometime we need to turn to see moses turned and he saw that bush burning i turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when i turned i saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of a rushing water. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And then he gave him the message, write. Told him, write what he saw. And what is now? And what will take place later? And so John wrote. He holds the seven stars in his right hand. Indicating his power and authority over the churches and their leaders. Because... In this day, a lot of leaders think they're holding, they're in charge, look unto them, and you can't see Jesus when you keep looking unto them. Because a lot of them make themselves as if they are God, and they are not. They are his servants who are supposed to direct them to God, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. He holds the seven stars in his right hand. Indicating his power and authority over the churches and their leaders. Ephesus had become a large, proud church. There's a lot of churches. The people are so prideful. Sometimes they open their mouth and say, God is never going to let me be ashamed. Stay right there. Well, Jesus hung on the cross naked. Ephesus had become a large, proud church, and Jesus' message would remind them that he alone is the head of the body of believers. Does God care about your church? If you attempted to doubt it, look more closely at these seven letters. The Lord of the universe knew each of these churches and its precise situation.
In each letter, Jesus told John to write about specific people, places, and events. I mean, churches have come to the point where, where they, they build this pyramid, okay? They have this church. It's such and such a name on it. And then they go around all over the place gathering other churches to come up underneath them. That's a pyramid. That means you're God over the whole thing. No, we're to lead them to Jesus. But it's a money thing, you see. The Lord of the universe knew each of these churches and its precise situation. In each letter, Jesus told John to write about specific people, places, and events. He praised believers for their successes and told them how to correct their failures. Just as Jesus cared for each of these churches, he cares for yours. He wants it to reach its greatest potential. The group of believers with whom you worship and serve is God's vehicle for changing the world. Take it seriously, because God does. Over a long period of time, the church in Ephesus had steadfastly refused to tolerate sin among its members. This was not easy in a city noted for immoral sexual practices associated with the worship of the goddess Artemis. We also are living in times of widespread sin and sexual immorality. It is popular to be open-minded toward many types of sin, calling them personal choices or alternative lifestyles. But when the body of believers begins to tolerate sin in the church, it is lowering the standards and compromising the church's witness. Remember that God's approval is ultimately more important than the world's. Do not tolerate sin. There are too many churches who are tolerating it. You could pull the member aside and minister and say, look, this is not the right way, this is the right way. I've gone on this phone and ministered to people who are getting this message and say, I see that you posted that. No, that is not the right thing to do. And I would lovingly correct them because some people don't know. And so if you are the shepherd, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would use you because they are the sheep under you to correct them, correct them in love. Christ commended the church at Ephesus for working hard, persevering, resisting sin, critically examining claims of false apostles and enduring hardships without becoming weary. Because sometimes you can get very weary. Every church should have these characteristics. But these good efforts should spring from our love for Jesus Christ. Both Jesus and John stress love for one another as an authentic proof of the gospel. First John chapter 3 verse 18 and 19 says, First John 3, 18 and 19 says, my little children, let us not love the world. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So, we have to get it right. We need to get it right. In the battle to maintain sound teaching and moral and doctrinal purity, it is possible to lose a charitable spirit 
Prolonged conflict can weaken or destroy our patience and affection. In defending the faith, guard against any structure or rigidity that weakens love. Paul had once commended the church at Ephesus for its love for God and others. But many of the church founders had died and many of the second generation believers had lost their zeal for God. They were a busy church. The members did much to benefit themselves and the community, but they were acting out of the wrong motives. Work for God must be motivated by love for God or it will not last. Can I say that again? Work for God must be motivated by love for work for God must be motivated by love for God or it will not last. Just as when a man and a woman fall in love, when I fall in love, it will be completely, oh, I'll never fall in love. But the moment you feel like I feel this way too, it's when I fall in love with you. Just as when a man and woman fall in love, so also new believers rejoice at their newfound forgiveness. Oh, you're so excited when you just accept Jesus. I mean, you love him, you love him. You're telling everybody about him and then. But when we lose sight of the seriousness of sin, we begin to lose the thrill of our forgiveness. Second Peter chapter one verse nine says, Second Peter, Chapter 1, verse 9 says, But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and had forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So, in the first steps of your Christian life, oh, you love Jesus, you're telling everybody about him. You may have enthusiasm without knowledge. Do you now have knowledge without enthusiasm? Both are necessary if we are to keep love for God intense and untarnished. Do you love God with the same fervor as when you were a new Christian? For Jesus to remove your lampstand from its place would mean the church would cease to be an effective church. And remember, we are the church. Now, of course, we have denominations, those buildings. But remember, you are the church. Just as the seven-branched candlestick in the temple gave light for the priests to see, the churches were to give light to their surrounding communities in, 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 in the book of first Samuel Eli was a priest but his light in the temple had gone out it had gone out just as the seven branch candlestick in the temple gave light for the priest to see, the churches were to give light to their surrounding communities. But Jesus warned them that their lights could go out. In fact, Jesus himself would extinguish any light that did not fulfill its purpose. The church had to repent of its sins. The, the Nicolaitans were believers who compromised their fate in order to enjoy some of the sinful practices of Ephesian society. This lockdown, God locked it down. But he locked it down 
and he locked the churches down so that they could reflect so that they could get back to their first love and say i surrender all yet they're rowing rowing arguing arguing however you want to be polite they are arguing they're fussing they're backbiting we want to get back in the building well if you get back if you open that building you cannot go in that building the same there has to be a change the light have to be seen through the communities oh blessed be the name of the lord jesus The name Nicolaitans is held by some to be roughly the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word for Balaamites. Balaam was a prophet who induced the Israelites to carry out their lustful desires. When we want to take part in, in, in an activity that we know is wrong, we may make excuses to justify our behavior, saying that it isn't as bad as it seems or that it won't hurt our fate. Christ has strong words for those who look for excuses to sin. Through John, Jesus commended the church at Ephesus for hating the wicked practices of the Nicolaitans. Note that they didn't hate the people, just as sinful actions. We should accept and love all people and refuse to tolerate all evil. God cannot tolerate sin, and he expects us to stand against it. The world needs Christians who will stand for God's truth and point people toward right living. Point them. The plumb line has been drawn. Point them towards right living. To overcome is to be victorious by believing in Christ, persevering, remaining faithful, and living as one who follows Christ. Such a life brings great rewards. Two trees were in the Garden of Eden. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eating from the tree of life brought eternal life with God. Eating from the tree of knowledge brought realization of good and evil. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge, they disobeyed God's command. So they were excluded from Eden and barred from eating from the tree of life. Eventually, Evil will be destroyed and believers will be brought into a restored paradise. In the new earth, everyone will eat from the tree of life and will live forever. Verse 8, he's speaking to the church of Sperma. He said, I know your afflictions. The city of Smyrna was about 25 miles north of Ephesus. It was nicknamed Port of Asia because it had an excellent harbor on the Aegean Sea. The church in this city struggled against two hostile forces, a Jewish population strongly opposed to Christianity and a non-Jewish population that was loyal to Rome and supported emperor worship. Persecution and suffering were inevitable in an environment like this. Persecution comes from Satan, not from God. But God says, Jesus says, blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness sake. So Satan the devil will cause believers to be thrown into prison and even killed. Hmm. 
Persecution comes from Satan. I repeat, not from God. Satan, the devil, will cause believers to be thrown into prison and even killed. Well, he caused me to be thrown in a mental institution, but I'm still speaking, I'm still standing. He caused me to be thrown in there with my sound mind. But God said, you're meant it for evil, but I meant it for good because I'm anointing this woman in the healing and deliverance ministry. So, so the devil will cause believers to be thrown into prison and even killed. But believers need not fear death because it will only result in their receiving the crown of life. Satan may harm their earthly bodies, but he can do them no spiritual harm. The synagogue of Satan means that these Jews were serving Satan's purposes, not God's. When they gathered to worship, they were not serving God, they were serving Satan's purposes. Ten days means that although persecution will be intense, it will be relatively short. It would have a definite beginning and end and God will remain in complete control. God is in complete control. So even though this, this, all this virus and this sickness is invisible plague, God is in complete control. And when the time comes, it will stop because he's all powerful and all knowing. Pain is part of life, but it's never easy to suffer. No matter what the cause, Jesus commended the church at Smyrna for its faith in suffering. You know, people say, oh, we don't have to suffer because Jesus took on our suffering on the cross. They need to get in the word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate them and give them the revelation, open their eyes to see and the ears to hear. He then encouraged the believers that they need not fear the future if they remain faithful. If you are experiencing difficult times, don't let them turn you away from God. Instead, let them draw you toward greater faithfulness. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to thy perfect bleeding side. Instead, let them draw you toward great faithfulness. Trust God and remember your heavenly reward. Verse 10. Smyrna was famous for its athletic games. A crown was a victory wealth. Smyrna was famous for its athletic games. A crown was the victory wreath. The trophy for the champion of the games, that wreath was the trophy for the champion of the games. We are looking for our crown. Have we run the race with patience? If we have been faithful, we will receive the prize of victory, which is eternal life. The message to the Smyrna church was to remain faithful during their suffering because God is in control and his promises are reliable. Jesus never says, that by being faithful to him, we will avoid troubles. He never said that. He never said that we will avoid suffering. He never said that we will avoid persecution. Rather, we must be faithful to him in our sufferings. Only then will our faith prove to be genuine because it's been tested. We remain faithful by keeping our eyes on Christ and on what he promises us now and in the future. Verse 11, 
believers and unbelievers alike experience physical death both both all people will be resurrected but believers will be resurrected to eternal life with god while unbelievers will be resurrected to be punished with a second death that is eternal separation from god verse 12 you're speaking to the angel of the church in pergamum the city of pergamum was built on a hill a thousand feet above the surrounding countryside creating a natural fortress it was a sophisticated city a center of greek culture and education but it was also the center of four cults cults are still in the world and it rivaled ephesus in its worship of idols the city's chief god was asiphius whose symbol was a serpent and who was considered the god of healing people came to pergamum from all over the world to seek healing from this god verse 12 just as the romans used their swords for authority and judgment jesus's sharp double-edged sword represents god god's ultimate authority and judgment it may also represent god's future separation of believers from unbelievers unbelievers cannot experience the eternal rewards of living in god's kingdom unbelievers that's why we need to believe we need to accept jesus unbelievers cannot experience the eternal rewards of living in god's kingdom verse 13 it says i know where you live where satan has his throne yet you remain true to my name you did not renounce your faith in me even in the days of antipas my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where satan lives so what he's saying as the center for four idolatrous cults the cults was zeus dionysius Arcelipus, and athene pergamum was called a city where satan has his throne surrounded by worship of satan and the roman emperor as god there's still satan worshippers in this world the church at pergamum refused to renounce their faith even when satan's worshippers martyred one of their members standing firm against the strong pressures and temptations of society is never easy but the alternative is deadly verse 13 it was not easy to be a christian in pergamum believers experienced great pressure to compromise to leave the faith and that's what's happening now a lot of christians are leaving the faith because of fear they are leaving the faith pray for them believers experience great pressure to compromise or leave the faith nothing is known about antipas except that he did not compromise he did not compromise he was faithful and he died for his faith <laughs> are you ready to die for your faith because something is about to happen in this world you're either gonna hold on to god and to your faith in jesus christ or you're gonna draw back because of fear apparently however some in the church were tolerating those who taught or practiced what christ opposed compromise can be defined as a blending of the qualities of two different things or a concession of principles 
cooperate with people as much as you can, but avoid any alliance, partnership, or participation that could lead to immoral practices. Verse 14, there is room for differences of opinion among Christians in some areas, but there is no room for heresy and moral impurity. Your town might not participate in idol feasts, but it probably has 